ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so carrying on then with the course regarding the pillars of iman today we're on the section where we're going to be discussing the topic of shirk the definition of shirk and the different types of shirk that is the subject of our discussion today shirk is something that you will all be aware of it is the opposite of a tawhid it is that which all of the prophets and messengers warned against it is what allah mentioned in the quran and warned against wa'budu allah wa la tushriku bihi shay'a worship allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do not commit shirk alongside him Similarly, in the famous hadith, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, أَتَدْرِ مَا حَقُّ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْعِبَادِ وَمَا حَقُّ الْعِبَادِ عَلَى اللَّهِ Do you know what the right of Allah is upon his servants? And the right of the servants upon Allah, meaning what Allah has bestowed upon us as a virtue, so then the Prophet said to him, The right of Allah upon his servants is that they worship him upon Tawheed and do not commit any shirk similarly Allah told us in the Quran that this shirk is the one sin that if a person dies upon it then you cannot be forgiven for it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not forgive that you commit shirk alongside with him, but he forgives all else to whom he wills. So it is very important for us to understand what shirk is, what exactly constitutes shirk, what is the meaning of it, and what are the types of it. So in terms of the definition, when we talk about shirk and in English polytheism, it is sarfu shay'in min anwa'il ibadah li azza wa jal. It is that you direct some thing anything from the types of worship to other than allah so basically if you perform any act of worship anything from the acts of worship to other than allah then it is considered as shirk to redirect something from any of the types of worship to other than Allah is shirk. So then the question is, because the definition says to redirect any of the acts of worship to other than Allah. So now we need to know then what are these acts of worship what are these acts of worship 
Because only through knowing what they are can we make sure that we don't ever end up doing them for other than the sake of Allah. And they are many. The answer to that, what is worship? There are many types of worship. You have the famous statement of Ibn Taymiyyah defining worship. Ismun jami'un li kulli ma yuhibbuhu Allahu wa yardah min al-aqwali wal-af'al al-zahira wal-baatina that it is a comprehensive term that incorporates everything that Allah loves and is pleased with. It is an all-encompassing term for everything that Allah loves and is pleased with from statements and actions whether hidden or apparent a comprehensive term for everything that Allah loves and is pleased with from statements and actions whether hidden or apparent so all of that would be within the definition of worship so from amongst the different examples of worship you have a dua a dua is an act of worship slaughtering is an act of worship love fear hope seeking aid and assistance all of these are forms of worship so to summarize those forms of worship what you can say is that ibadah worship it can be categorized into three sources the source of the worship may be your heart that is where it emanates from or the source of the worship may be your tongue that is where it emanates from statements or the source of the worship may be your limbs that is where it emanates from physical actions so worship can be from the heart it can be upon the limbs uh, upon the tongue and it can be upon the limbs worship from the heart an example of that love loving allah subhanahu wa ta'ala al-hubbu fillah loving for the sake of Allah love is an act of worship which emanates from the heart an act of worship that emanates upon the tongue the different types of adhkar supplications duas even within the prayer all of those upon the tongue the recitation of the quran all of that is statements upon the tongue acts of worship in your speech and thirdly acts of worship that occur upon the limbs prayer tawaf hajj umrah various acts of worship that have elements to them that are physical your limbs are performing those acts of worship so you can see worship it is something comprehensive it is something that covers a wide area worship in your heart worship upon the tongue worship upon the limbs and then the worship has different methods also so for example some forms of worship require wealth so the zakat and other forms of charity 
other worships require physical effort like jihad and hajj. So there are various different types of worship that occur in different forms and ways. And all of that which Allah loves and is pleased with from statements and actions hidden or apparent, all of that which is specified in the Quran and the Sunnah, it is all worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now then, any of that worship, any section of it, any part of it, if you were to do it for other than the sake of Allah, it becomes shirk. It then becomes shirk. فَمَنْ صَرَفَ شَيْئًا مِنْ أَنْوَاعِ الْعِبَادَةِ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ فَإِنَّهُ يَكُونُ مُشْرِكًا بِاللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ So whomsoever redirects any of that worship, any type of it, heart, statements, tongue, whatever form of it, away from doing it for Allah to other than Allah, then it becomes an act of shirk. That is then associating partners alongside Allah, performing worship, whatever type of worship it may be, for other than the sake of Allah, you are now associating alongside Allah partners. So what are then the types of shirk? Now that we've understood the definition of shirk, that it is to redirect any act of worship to other than Allah. We've understood what worship is generally. Now then, what are the different types of shirk? Basically, you can say there are two categories of shirk. Basically, there are two categories of shirk. The major shirk and the minor shirk. The major shirk and the minor shirk. Shirkun akbar wa shirkun asghar. Then, now that you have the two overall categories, major shirk and minor shirk. Now if you think about just the category of major shirk, that, itself splits up into various categories meaning there are various types of major shirk major shirk has various types underneath of it and many of them are mentioned within the quran so one of the famous examples the scholars always mention is the act of worship of dua dua supplicating making dua if it is done for other than the sake of allah to other than allah calling upon others besides allah then that is an act of shirk allah mentioned in the quran wa anna al-masajid lillah فَلَا تَدْعُوا مَعَ اللَّهِ أَحَدًا That indeed, the masajid are for Allah. So do not call upon others alongside Allah. The masajid are for Allah. So do not call upon others alongside Allah. The masajid, it refers to the masajid of course. But it also refers to you and your body parts. Do not use your body, your body parts in the worship of others besides Allah, in calling upon others besides Allah, in prostrating to others besides Allah. That indeed the masajid are for Allah. The physical masajid. And also you and your body parts, as some of the scholars mention in the tafsir of masajid. In another ayah, Allah again highlights how dua 
is an act of worship and can only be done to Allah. فَادْعُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ Call upon Allah in sincerity to Him. مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ In sincerity of worship and religion to Him. So again, highlighting that dua is an act of worship and cannot be redirected to anyone else besides Allah. Similarly, we have the prayer, as-salah, another very clear and easy example. As-salah, the prayer, it cannot be done for anyone else besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You pray for the sake of Allah. You do not pray for the sake of people watching you, for the sake of impressing others, for the sake of praise, but rather the prayer is prayed for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And an example in the Quran for that, Pray for your Lord. Prayer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And in fact, what's the very next part? What does that mean? One har. Sacrifice. Indicating therefore that sacrificing is an act of worship that must be done to Allah alone also. Sacrificing. Sacrificing an animal done for the sake of Allah. Not done for the dead in their graves. Not done for the great imam as they claim to you. For the awliya of Allah who are in their graves now. Not done for others besides Allah in the name of others. But done sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are some examples. More examples in the Quran and there are many of them. The example of hajj. And the example of some worships of the heart like tawakkul. Your trust and your dependence. <clears throat> that your trust and your dependence is in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Allah said in the Quran, وَعَلَى اللَّهِ فَتَوَكَّلُوا إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ And upon Allah place your trust if indeed you are believers. Place your trust in Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala If indeed you are believers This is from one of the acts of worship of the heart Having your trust and dependence in Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala To the extent That some of the people of knowledge used to say that they do not like the phrase people often use, which is when you say to someone, do me a favor, X, Y, and Z, I'm depending on you. Do me a favor tomorrow, do this for me, do that for me, I'm depending on you. Some of the scholars, they used to say that they do not like this term. They do not like this phrase. I'm depending on you. Because your dependence should be purely in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your dependence is not in creation or anybody else. These other people are means, asbab. Means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may provide for you. Somebody's going to help you. Somebody's going to do some favor for you. But you're not depending on them. Your dependence is in Allah for this person to carry out the favor properly for you. You're depending on Allah for this person to do the job right. You're not depending on him. 
So dependence and trust and having that is something which is an act of worship in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Other examples, vowing. When a person makes a vow, takes some type of oath, so you hear the people saying that they swear on their mother's life, X, Y, and Z. That they swear on their children's lives that they are telling the truth or they are this or that. Those kinds of statements are shirk. They are impermissible because taking an oath like that it is an act of worship. You should only be taking the oath in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is haram to say, I swear on my mother's life, on my father's, on my children's. All of that impermissible. Even to say, I swear upon the Kaaba. As you hear people saying, that I swear upon the Kaaba. It is incorrect. That is not permissible. In Arabic, sometimes you may hear the term that somebody swears by Rabbul Kaaba. Rabbul Kaaba means the Lord of the Kaaba, i.e., Allah. That phrase is okay. So be aware regarding taking oaths and these vows that they are to be done in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. فَمَنْ نَظَرَ لِلْقَبْرِ أَوْ نَظَرَ لِلْمَيِّتِ أَوْ نَظَرَ لِلْجِنِ يَكُونُ مُشْرِكًا So whomsoever takes these oaths and vows for the deceased or in the name of the jinn or upon the grave of someone, these types of things people do, then that is considered from the types of shirk. Considered from the types of shirk. Also, from the types of major shirk, remember all of these are categories of major shirk we're talking about. From the types of major shirk also is magic, a sihr, magic, fasahiru mushrik. So the magician, somebody who does magic, is not a Muslim. You cannot be. A magician, as a Muslim, somebody who becomes a magician, it means they are no longer a Muslim and they will be in the hellfire if they persist upon that and die upon that. So magic and performing magic and engaging in magic, it is all from the major type of shirk because magic only happens. How do the magicians do magic? Because they get help from the shayateen, from the devils, from the jinn, the shayateen who help them. And the magicians will worship them, prostrate to them, be subservient to them. And then as a consequence, they will aid those magicians in doing the things that are unnatural. So these are all categories of major shirk. Major shirk in carrying out any act of worship for other than the sake of Allah. Then the second type of shirk was the minor shirk. And the minor shirk, what is the difference between that and the major shirk? So the minor shirk, it does not cause a person to exit from the fold of Islam, whereas the acts of major shirk do. Minor shirk now, thinking about the category of minor shirk now, it also has subcategories, two main subcategories. Minor shirk has two main subcategories. So what are the two main types of minor shirk? Or what are the two classifications of minor shirk? Number one, 
That's a very specific example. But general classifications, loose, broad groups. Minor shirk has two overall groups of actions that are considered as minor shirk. That's a, a very specific example. We need general, more broader categories where other actions could come under. Not examples of actions. We don't want examples of actions. Minor shirk has two categories. So there is the minor shirk which is open and apparent. And there can be minor shirk that is concealed and hidden. Open and apparent type and concealed and hidden type. So minor shirk has those two categories. Open and apparent. And secondly, hidden and concealed. So what is the open and apparent type of minor shirk? That can be things like ash-shirku fil alfaz. Shirk in your statements. Shirk in statements. For example, when somebody says, Was it not for Allah and that man last night, then I would have been killed. Was it not for Allah and that man who helped me, I would have been killed. That statement is slightly incorrect. Why is it incorrect? Because you're? So now you are equaling the impact or the status of that man alongside Allah. What you're supposed to say in those types of contexts is, was it not for Allah and then that man as well, then such and such I would have been X, Y, and Z. That man is only a secondary thing after the aid of Allah. Allah is the one who allowed that and that man to come and help you. That man is a secondary thing. So now when somebody accidentally says and makes the statement, was it not for Allah and that man, and now indicates you're equaling the man and Allah. That's not the case. It's Allah then that man. So that type of misphrasing, it is type of minor shirk. It is a type of minor shirk that you phrase it in that way because you're now equaling that man alongside Allah in that respect. Similarly, the statement, Ma sha Allahu wa shi'ta. Whatever Allah wills and you will. And that is a hadith when a man came to the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and said to him, Ma sha Allahu wa shi'ta. Whatever Allah wills and you will. So the Prophet Sallallahu said, Have you made me an equal, a partner to Allah? Qul ma sha Allahu wahda. Say whatever Allah wills alone. So again, this type of statement, whatever Allah wills and you, you're now making some type of equalization, some type of leveling between this other and Allah, and that cannot be correct. So these types of statements, often when a person makes them, does he intend anything by them? Does he intend, yes, that man had equal power and ability last night along with Allah to save me? Of course not. He means Allah saved me and then that man. But the way he phrases it, Allah and that man, the phrasing is indicating equalization. And so that is something where he doesn't have an aqidah which is false in his heart, but the statements and his words are words that indicate shirk. So now that's why it's considered minor shirk and doesn't exit him from the fold of Islam. In his aqidah, there isn't an issue, but it's the way that he's talking and phrasing and his wording. It is wording that indicates shirk. So that is something considered as minor shirk. Another type is when a person takes 
an oath by other than Allah. What was the difference here now between this one and the last one? This one is about the statements. And the last one was in their aqidah. When they go to the grave and they vow upon the name of that dead man in the grave. And they take oaths in the name of that dead man in the grave. And they are equaling him and taking him and prioritizing him over and above Allah or to the equal of Allah. That is major shirk. But here now we're talking about somebody who makes statements. And maybe the example we gave is more appropriate in this context. When people say, I swear on my mother's life, I swear on my father's life, on my kid's life. That is more often than not more appropriate here in this example. In their aqidah, they don't really understand and perceive what they're doing with that statement. They don't realize that by taking an oath in the name of your mother, for example, you are now in essence indicating that you view your mother's life as greater than Allah. Otherwise, if you viewed Allah greater, you would have said in the name of Allah X, Y, and Z. So that's the problem with these statements. When you say in the name of my mother's life or my kids' lives, then you are indicating a greatness for your mother or your father or your children. Obviously, it indicates a greatness for them. That is the whole point of taking a swearing like that. When you say to somebody, I swear on my mother's life, X, Y, and Z, that person recognizes you value your mother's life. So then he believes you, you wouldn't lie in your mother's name. So that is valuing and magnifying the status of your mother. The point is, the magnification in that regard should be for Allah. You should be saying it in the name of Allah. That is where the greatest magnification is. Not in the life of your mother or your children. So now it's as though you think and as the people they do. You could say to them in the name of Allah. By Allah X, Y and Z. And they will still have doubts. But then you say in the name of my, my parents graves X, Y and Z. Now all of a sudden they have more inclination to believe you. Now when you swear on your parents' graves or on your children's lives, all of a sudden people value that more than you saying, I swear in the name of Allah. And that is the shirk. That it is as though you are magnifying and extolling and making great the parents or the children or whoever you're swearing upon over and above Allah. So even though your intent and your aqidah may not be like that, the phrasing and using that type of swearing upon their lives indicates a form of shirk. And there is a narration very clear. مَنْ حَلَفَ بِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ فَقَدْ كَفَرَ أَوْ أَشْرَكَ That whomsoever takes an oath or swears by other than Allah, then he has committed kufr or shirk. That is doubt from the narrator whether it was kufr or shirk. In another narration, مَنْ كَانَ حَالِفًا فَلْيَحْلِفْ بِاللَّهِ أَوْ لِيَسْمُتْ Whomsoever is gonna swear, then swear by Allah or remain silent. So that is one type. That is open type of minor shirk. Because obviously when you say those words, they are open and they are heard. The second type of minor shirk was something that is hidden or concealed. So what are examples of minor shirk that are hidden or concealed? Of course, these types of actions are going to have to be actions that are in the heart. That's why they are hidden and concealed. Nobody knows what's in your heart. So now certain actions that emanate from the heart, they may be considered as forms of minor shirk. So examples of this then, examples of acts or narrations where the Prophet ﷺ has informed us of this type of concealed shirk 
There is a hadith where the Prophet said, Ala ukhbirukum bima huwa akhwafu alaykum indi min fitnatil masihid dajjal. Shall I not inform you of what is more fearful upon you? Something that I fear more upon you than even the fitna of the Dajjal? They said, of course, O Messenger of Allah, inform us. What is that? He said, the hidden and concealed shirk. A man says, A man stands, and he beautifies his prayer, لِمَا يَرَى مِن نَظَرِ رَجُلٍ Because he sees another person looking at him. The hidden and concealed shirk. He stands and prays, but he's praying only to impress that person who he knows is looking at him. Concealed. You see him praying, you don't know. You don't know that he's got in his mind that person looking at him or not. Concealed shirk. So that is a type of minor shirk also, this showing off. But be aware that the showing off, sometimes it can lead to your actions completely being nullified. And that is if your showing off is throughout your worship. So imagine somebody now walks in and from the very beginning when he starts praying he notices somebody so he beautifies his prayer from the very beginning to the end from takbiratul ihram from the very beginning right to the end he's beautifying his prayer because he saw the people looking at him in the mosque already from the very beginning some scholars say now his prayer that whole prayer would be invalid all of it batil, invalid, don't count. Because he started it from the very beginning upon showing off. If, imagine though somebody walked into the mosque and they started praying, and then when they got to their last raka'ah, somebody else walks in and sits somewhere in their eyesight. So now they've noticed somebody is there in their vision of sight, so they beautify their last raka'ah more than the rest of their prayer beautify their prostration their ruku' their length so now what's the ruling on that person's prayer just the last raka'ah will be invalid rest of the prayer valid the first three raka'at for the sake of allah they were just the last one people walked into the mosque and so the showing off entered his heart and he began to change his last raka'ah Beautify it, make it longer, everything, when they walked in in that last raka'ah. So now what's the ruling on his prayer? Is it all invalid or just the last raka'ah invalid? It is a difference between the scholars in their explanations about that issue. Some of the scholars say his whole prayer is invalid. The whole prayer is invalid. Why? Exactly, because they say the prayer, yes, it is made up of the four individual raka'at, but those four raka'at, for example, in a four raka'at prayer, all four together make the prayer. So if you were praying dhuhr and only prayed three, your prayer would be invalid. You haven't prayed dhuhr. You would have to pray all four units to make the prayer. Meaning the four units in the Dhuhr prayer, for example, the four units together as an entity make the prayer. So now they say some of the scholars, if showing off fell into any one of the components of that entity, so now the last raka'ah is upon showing off. You no longer have an intact full entity. One component is missing. You no longer have the full intact worship. You've dropped a component of it. Just like if you pray dhuhr three raka'at, 
Then your prayer, nobody's going to say, okay, you'll get 75% reward. You don't get it. The dhuhr doesn't count. So now they say, if one raka'ah is upon showing off, not for the sake of Allah, that's your whole prayer impacted. You can't just say, well, that's separate. They give the example of uh, wudu as well. They say, if you did, for example, wudu, and you forgot to wash your feet. You did everything else, but you forgot to wash your feet. And then you go away, you dry yourself up, everything 20 minutes later, you remember, wait, I never washed my feet. So now what do you have to do? You got to go and start again and make all of it. You can't just say, well, all the rest of it counts. I just got to wash my feet now. You forgot to wash the feet. All the rest of the body parts have dried up now. The only time you'd be allowed to go back and just wash the feet was if it was straight away. If you walk off from the taps and then you remember, wait, the the feet yet. And all the rest of the body parts, the water is still on them everywhere. Then you can go back. So they say these worships are whole entities. You can't just split them off and say, okay, the fourth rak'ah doesn't count, three do. If one part of that prayer is invalid, the whole entity of the prayer is invalid. So you have to be careful regarding this issue of showing off and shirk. It mentions in the famous hadith, the famous hadith about the three people who are going to be thrown into the hellfire. One of them used to fight for the sake of Allah as he claims. And he was martyred for the sake of Allah as he claims. And he was killed. He was killed fighting. So on the day of judgment, he will say, that's what I did. I fought for your sake until I was killed. But it will be said to him, Kathabt, you have lied. Even though he did do that. But it will be said to him, you have lied. You only fought, إِنَّمَا قَاتَلْتَ لِيُقَالْ جَرِيْءٍ You only fought so people would say, look how brave you are. Look how courageous you are, how bold you are. That is all you wanted people to say about you. And that is exactly what they used to say. You got the praise you wanted from the people. That is why you used to go out and fight, just to get the praise from the people, not for the sake of Allah. So he will be cast into the fire. Another person used to learn the Quran, learn the Quran, learn knowledge, teach the people the Quran, etc. He'll say on the day of judgment, that's what I used to do, and he did. But it will be said to him, Kathabt, you have lied. You only used to teach the people the Quran, etc. So people would notice your voice and say, what a beautiful reciter he is. You only used to hold classes and teach, so people would say, what a beautiful voice you have. That is all you ever desired from your teaching and your classes of the Quran, etc. And you got that. People used to praise you for your voice. So he never did it for the sake of Allah thrown into the fire. A third individual, Rajulun, a man whom Allah had made rich, given him lots of money and wealth. He will say on the day of judgment, مَا تَرَكْتُ مِن سَبِيلٍ تُحِبُّ وَنْيُنْفَقَ فِيهَا إِلَّا أَنْفَقْتُ فِيهَا I did not leave any pathway that you love. Money should be spent in except that I spent in it. All of the different charities for the sake of Allah he used to spend. He did. But then it will be said, Kathabt, you have lied. You only used to go and spend in all of those charities for the sake of Allah. Liyuqal jawad. So people would say, look how generous you are. Look how kind and generous you are. You wanted praise from the people. وَقَدْ قِيلْ And they gave you that. So his actions of spending were not for the sake of Allah. They were for the sake of the praise of the people. And so he is thrown into the fire too. Notice in this narration, these three people are thrown into the fire for doing acts of worship. They were doing acts of worship and they get thrown into the fire for it. But how? Because they were doing those acts of worship not for the sake of Allah. They were doing those acts of worship for other than the sake of Allah, for showing off. And so they are thrown into the fire. In another narration it mentions about the ones who show off that Allah will say to them on the day of judgment, اذهبوا إلى من كنتم تراءون في الدنيا هل تجدون عندهم من جزاء أو كما قال 
Go to the ones that you used to show off in front of. See if you find any reward from them now. See if they'll give you some reward for the showing off you did in front of them, for the worship that you should have been doing for Allah, but you were doing to get their praise. Let's see if they give you any reward for that worship now. And of course, they will not get an atom's weight. So this is regarding the hidden type of the shirk. And that is the showing off as an example. In another narration, الشِّرْكُ أَخْفَى مِنْ دَبِيبِ النَّمْلِ عَلَى صَفَاتٍ سَوْدَاءٍ فِي ظُلْمَةِ اللَّيْلِ That this hidden concealed shirk, like the black ant on a black stone upon the darkness and the blackness of the night. That is how concealed it is that you cannot see it, you cannot notice it. وَهَذَا هُوَ الَّذِي خَافَهُ الصَّحَابَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ and this is what the companions used to fear for themselves. The companions used to fear this for themselves, that they may fall into this hidden type of shirk. What's left on the worksheets? When and how did shirk first appear? And what else? And what else? That's the final two questions. Uh-huh, yes. So, the final section here left now is, when did shirk first appear? What is the story behind that? We know that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam, Adam alayhi salam was upon Tawheed. Then his sons and their sons and their offspring and offspring, those generations that came one after the next, all of them were upon Tawheed for how many generations? Ten. Ten generations. From Adam alayhi salam, ten generations on, they were all upon Tawheed. That's in Bukhari, it says it. Kana bayna Adam wa Nuh alayhi salam, ashrata qurun, kulluhum ala Tawheed. Between Adam and Nuh alayhi salam were ten generations, all of them were upon Tawheed. Then in that 10th generation, around about that 10th generation, there or thereabouts, there were the famous people mentioned in the Quran, great, noble, righteous people by the names of Wad, Suwa', Ya'uth, Ya'uq, Nasr, mentioned in the Quran, the famous righteous people. When those righteous people died, everybody in the society became very saddened and grieved at the loss of these righteous people. So the shaitan saw their emotion and took that opportunity to come to them. So he said to them initially, you should go out to the graves of these righteous people to remember them. So when you remember them and you go to their graves, it'll increase you in Iman. So they thought that's a good idea. So they went. They would go to the graves of those righteous people and ponder and think. And then the shaitan said to them, when you go out there, don't just go and visit and come back. Stay there. Stay there for lengthy periods of time, properly contemplating. So they went and began doing that. Still no shirk yet though. Eventually the shaitan said to them, it would be far easier for you to make some representations, some statues, some figurines of those righteous people and put them in your places of gatherings. And then whenever you see those pictures and figures and statues, you'll remember those pious people and it will encourage you to be pious. Again, the people thought that is good and they did it. Made the statues or the figures, etc. of those people. Still didn't commit shit though. When they died, and time went by, the next generations came, they didn't know why their forefathers had built these statues, etc. So shaitan finally came to them, as the narration says, Hatta idha ilm, when knowledge was forgotten, shaitan came to them and said to them, your forefathers built these things because they used to call upon them. And those people didn't know any better, so they began calling upon them and that was when the first shirk appeared when that first shirk appeared then 
Allah sent the first messenger and that was Nuh alayhi salam. So that is the story regarding that shirk and how it first began. Now if we generally just mention what is the overlap between shirk and kufr. What you could say is that every mushrik is definitely a kafir. But not every kafir may be a kafir because he is a mushrik. So every mushrik is a kafir. And not every kafir may be a kafir due to being a mushrik. There may be other reasons why he's a kafir. لِأَنَّ الْكُفَرِ قَدْ يَكُونُ بِالْجُحُودِ Because remember we said you could be a kafir through mere rejection. You're not actually worshipping anything else. You're just upon rejection of Tawheed and Allah and worship. So a kafir is more general, could be a kafir for various reasons. A mushrik is obviously a kafir though. Every mushrik is a kafir. But not every kafir may be a mushrik as such, may have other reasons for being a kafir. What is the list then at the bottom? So, the rulings on these, on the workbook, you have a list of some actions. What are the rulings on them? The first one is wearing amulets and bracelets, etc. What is the ruling on that? It's not allowed. So the women have to get rid of all their bracelets. Huh? There you are. So amulets and bracelets, obviously we're talking about amulets and bracelets and necklaces and rings that the people use for the purpose of believing they will keep the evil eye away, they will keep harm away, they will protect them and give them barakah. Those types of amulets, rings, necklaces, taweez as they call it, what they put some Quran into a thing and you wear it on your neck. All of those types of things, people wear them because they believe these are means of keeping away evil and the evil eye, etc. And means of bringing goodness and barakah. So what is the ruling on doing that? Impermissible. We've just said before, your trust, your dependence is in Allah. Not in a bracelet or a necklace or even this taweez as they call it, where you put Quran on a piece of paper, put it folded up into a necklace. These types of things are not permissible. There are two rulings on them. If a person believes that these items themselves have ability to aid him and remove harm, that's major kufr, major shirk. But if a person knows it's Allah who will aid him, etc., but these things he has an attachment believing they will help along the way they are means then that is minor shirk he believes they are means but knows ultimately it's from Allah that's minor shirk still if he believes they themselves can do it major shirk the only issue is regarding Quran if it is pure Quran and notice very carefully pure Quran these days, this taweez thing that they call, very rarely, if at all it exists, do you have any that are pure Qur'an in the first place. They are not Qur'an. They are Qur'an with other little symbols added in, with other little marks and bits and bobs added in. Rarely do you get ever pure Qur'an in the first place. People claiming it is Qur'an only, Qur'an only. You open it up and there are marks and numbers and circles and dots. Where is that? That is not from the Quran. So rarely do you have it from the Quran. If you did, let's say for the sake of the example, 
somebody had pure Quran on a piece of paper wearing that. Permissible or not? Sahaba differed, how? What do you mean? So they did it? Sahaba used to do it? Quran, Quran. It is not narrated authentically from any Sahabi that they used to wear the Quran like that. But the only thing that is reported is that some of the Sahaba hypothetically said, if it's purely Quran, then we don't really know why that would be impermissible. We have no reason to make it haram if it's pure Quran. Hypothetically, as a general ruling, none of them ever did it. Aisha radiallahu anha is the famous one who narrated this, the permissibility of the Quran. But did she ever do it? Never. Never narrated that they ever did it, but it was one of those principal things. Some of the Sahaba principally said, if it's pure Quran, Quran is legitimate, it's good. If it's pure Quran, hypothetically, principally speaking. Did they actually ever do it then? Apply it, implement it, wear Quran? Never. So it is never reported from any of the Sahaba that they actually wore Quran in their necks, etc. Then if somebody says, okay, but principally one or two or some of the Sahaba, they thought it might be okay if it was pure Quran, so I'm going to go on that. That doesn't apply either because them, the Sahaba talking about that principally, then you got to talk about it principally too. Principally speaking, it is based upon the foundation of sound aqidah. That is something which is non-existent amongst the people who wear these things. The people who wear these things, 99.999%, it is because they believe these things will help in keeping away the evil eye and bringing good and barakah. They have some attachment to these things. So their aqidah isn't sound like the aqidah of Aisha was in the first place. So you cannot use those types of examples. And that's why the Sahaba and the Tabi'een and others, they all, the overwhelming statement on this is the impermissibility of Quran or other than the Quran, anything. Other than the Quran or the Quran, you do not wear it as the Taweez thing. You do not wear it as a necklace or in the bracelet or anything like that. People do not, are not supposed to put their trust into these items. Your trust is in Allah. People need to learn the correct aqidah. So the correct opinion is and the correct statement is the impermissibility of wearing any of those things. And it can be major shirk or minor shirk as we explained. Second one is slaughtering for other than Allah. We've already mentioned it. Pray to your Lord and sacrifice and slaughter for your Lord. Act of worship, therefore, if you do it to others besides Allah, becomes an act of shirk, therefore. Next one. Seeking blessings from false deities and idols. Uh, uh, evidence. It's impermissible, of course. Haram, impermissible, shirk. Evidence, though. Seeking aid and assistance or barakah from others besides Allah. Nobody knows an evidence for that. A specific example. A specific example highlighting the impermissibility of seeking barakah from others besides Allah. Okay, that's an example. The hadith of Abu Waqid and Al-Layfi. When they saw the mushrikeen were hanging their weapons on the trees to get barakah in their weapons. So the sahaba who were brand new to Islam, they just converted, just reverted to Islam. They said to the Prophet that tell us which tree can we use? Can we put our weapons on the tree too for barakah? So the Prophet said, Allahu Akbar, inna sunan. Then the Prophet said to them, Allahu Akbar, in shock. 
and in uh, rebuke of this statement. He said, you have said just like the people of Musa said to him, make for us a God just as they have gods. So that is something clearly impermissible, haram, shirk. What else? Magic, fortune telling, this we already mentioned as well. Ah, crystal ball, palm reading, all of it. Evidence that it's impermissible. That magic is haram and impermissible. Evidence. There is a narration about the one man atta arifan. Whoever comes to one of these fortune tellers, fasaddaqahu, and believes him. And in the other narration, it's not even about believing him, just going to them. Then his prayer will not be accepted for 40 days. More examples. Uh-huh. Okay, the, uh, the uh, uh, ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah, when the angels, they came as a trial upon the people and they said to them, what did they say to them? وَمَا يُعَلِّمَانِ مِنْ أَحَدٍ حَتَّى يَقُولَا إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ فِتْنَةٍ They said to the people, we have come as a trial. So that is an example. Something else? There are narrations. Hadith of the Prophet when he said, اِجْتَنِبُوا سَبْعَ الْمُوبِقَاتِ Stay away from the seven destructive sins. One of them, السِحْر. First one mentioned is a shirk, second one a sihr, magic. After that, good luck, suspicions, bad luck, 13th of Friday, black cat, all of these things. Haram, impermissible shirk, evidence. Ah, the ones who enter paradise without any accountability uh, uh, from the examples of them is that they do not hold the suspicions and get involved in those omens etc and there are many other examples refer back to kitab al-tawheed in the relevant chapters anything else Ah, if you say, لو أني فعلت كذا وكذا If only. What is the ruling on saying? If only. If only I'd done such and such, it wouldn't have been like this. And if only I hadn't done that, it would have been okay. What does the hadith say about that? The full narration. In the hadith where it mentions about striving, seek aid and assistance from Allah and don't become weak and feeble. And when something, if something occurs to you, if something happens, don't say if only this and if only that, because that only opens up the door to the shaytan. Saying if only this and if only that, it is a deficiency in your tawheed because it's as though you don't understand the, the power of Allah and the decree of Allah and that everything happens by the decree of Allah. It's as though you don't understand that saying, if only this and if only that. Whatever has occurred has occurred. مَا أَخْطَأَكَ لَمْ يَكُنْ لِيُصِبْكَ وَمَا أَصَابَكَ لَمْ يَكُنْ لِيُخْطِئَكَ Whatever doesn't happen for you, then it was never going to happen for you. And whatever ends up happening to you, it was always going to end up happening to you. So a person who doesn't understand that, they don't understand the reality of their tawheed in Allah and that Allah is the all-controlling of everything. Is that the last one? So that brings us to the end of the first section. Next session then, we're going to start with Iman in the angels. Iman in the angels. That will be the topic in the next session. And if you look on the workbook, there's various different topics in that uh, about the angels. What are they made from? How many are there? How big are they? What do they look like? Do they eat? Do they marry? 
all types of different details about the angels of Allah. That will be from the next session, inshallah ta'ala. Anybody managed to find the homework this week? Which is what? What's the ayah? What's the ayah? The, uh, the ayah that Fir'aun believed. What is it? What's the ayah? Read. Uh-huh. What number is that? 14 and Namal. So the answer that we wanted for the fact that Pharaoh, in reality, deep down, he believed. He knew. He knew. But he rejected upon arrogance. Surah Namal 14, huh? وَجَحَدُوا بِهَا That's the one. What was the other homework? Uh-huh. The proof? Oh, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So what was that one? The About the munafiqun. The mosque, Masjid Darar. The mosque that they built and their plan was to use it as a base to attack the Muslims. The When the Prophet ﷺ had agreed, he would go there. But on the way back, the ayah was revealed to him, telling him and informing him of their reality and not to go ever pray there. So the answer to that, where is that ayah? Tawbah. 107, 108, which reads as what? Aha, uh-huh. that's it. So he mentions there, لا تقوم فيه أبدا do not stand within it ever. Do not stand within it ever. La taqum fihi abada. So that was the evidence for that. Tawbah 107-108. So for what you for uh, two weeks' time, what you can do is try and do some research, whatever research you can do, into the angels. Look at the workbook. There's a whole variety of topics we're gonna be covering. Try and do some background reading into the angels and we'll probably spend at least two sessions, probably at least two full sessions on various topics about the angels. So inshallah ta'ala that will be something uh, interesting for most people as well to realize and to learn details of. So we'll conclude upon that for today then.